Trashiest food locations are always in bowling alleys. Like yeah. that's, I think that's where you know yeah. bowling alleys took over the yeah <laughs> bowling gas alleys and gas stations. Yeah. Casinos can't play that game. They just can't play that game. Actual garbage. Actual garbage. Actual garbage. Actual garbage. I mean, if you don't slam the table, no. the whole point of having this here is that you can put a cup on. Oh, the, no, don't okay. even put the the coaster. I don't care about this foam. Okay, okay just can I put do it fully far away, screaming. <laughs> Good fully work. Casey needs to get. Sound like you're on a mountain away. somewhere. All right, all right. on a misty mountain. Yeah, just don't slam the table, which you shouldn't no, fucking be doing anyway. Until I cut a hole in the middle of this table so that I. This, I mean, cause this, oh, thing, this, this, this thing, thing rocks too much. This is, this is optimal. I don't know. What you're it is, about. It is, is not optimal. optimal. This is suboptimal. <laughs> I mean, it's satin white. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Satin, the fucking lo most luxurious paint finish. I don't know how yeah. black became the premier sharpie. Silver sharpies, yeah, right on everything, yeah. as opposed to black sharpies, which rub off of all kinds of things. Yes. Yeah. And they're beautiful as well. I and mean, can't so be I mean. written on black surfaces. Yeah. <laughs> Silver well, shows up wanna, on pretty much everything. I mean, it's like invisible ink, though. Right. So if you're a spy. Then you just gotta, like, black sharp light so that it reflects. Right. I mean, it's like the CIA. They realize that they've been using black highlighter all these years. It's terrible. <laughs> hey, everybody. Oh, very good. Welcome to the Actual Garbage Podcast. My name is David Paddock. To my left, we have new timer, longtime listener. I don't know that that's true. First time caller in, Mitchell Ondergan. How are you doing, sir? I am doing pretty well. Glad to be on the show. Excellent. Yeah. That is the most formal. <laughs> that is the most formal rejoinder I have yet heard I've, on this entire podcast. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. That seems like what every guest says. It so is. Think, it yeah. absolutely is. And I am ashamed to be stooping to the standard of other podcasts right, well, here. Okay, we'll Give yourself it. five seconds. The same five seconds everybody gives. All right. Well, I'm Mitchell. I work in IT, and I live in Orlando. Amazing. Yes. Wonderful. To his yes. left, we have Ryan Riley yet again, who I never actually gave five seconds, but um, feel free to do so now. I've taken two hours of our time already. Precious, precious two hours. <laughs> Partner in crime, always fun to be here. Time up. Excellent. And to his left, Dylan George. Rejoining the podcast. Mm. Coming back. That'll do. <laughs> I'm here again. <laughs> I think this is episode seven. I want to say this is episode seven because I porch cast <coughs> count. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I I it's snuck I snuck porch cast in there. I couldn't help myself. This right. already feels like it's been too long. Like it's only been <laughs> four days for me. Yeah. Uh, that's way too long now. When you become I've, a content creator, you just no, have I know. To I've, more I've, I've I've hit. So. I've got the bug. Um, I'm all about that production. So episode seven, um, we let Mitchell do the honor of picking the topic. So I will let Mitchell. Introduce the topic. Mitchell, what are we going to be talking about theoretically? So the topic today, theoretically, if we don't get too off track, uh, I picked self-deception. And uh, should I just go into like... Yeah, sure. Okay, you may so, as well get going. So I was kind of thinking about this because uh, I'm in a tennis league now that my uncle uh, kind of invited me to. Very cool. Um, and he's he kind of recommended the level of play that I should be in. He's like, well, you do really well against me and I'm 3-5, so maybe you should start out at 3-0. No shit. Tennis levels do He that. thinks you're at 3... I've tried to figure out where I am on that yeah. scale because Mitchell and I play tennis mm -hmm. frequently. Mitchell is... 
<laughs> is is probably I would say you're exactly one tick above me yeah, on um, the tennis circuit. Probably. I I reliably but closely lose to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty good. I mean, you hit hit it back consistently, and that's really what you have to do, and that's yeah. The, the most and then I thing. screw up before you do, so you get the point every yeah. time. Well, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's the important thing. You keep that's up. The deal. So uh, yeah. so yeah, when I was when I was joining this league, I'm like, oh, three zero. Well, it's kind of the same thing with with every sport or. Uh, video game that I play where I think I'm better than I am, kind of uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect where you have uh, kind of overestimate your own abilities. So I'm like, well, I should make the playoffs, I should win most of my matches, and then I played my first match on Sunday, and I lost. uh, 1-6, 3-6. Who'd you lose Um, against? The guy I lost against, uh, I can't remember his name, he was pretty good. Um, Like, it was his first time in the tennis league as well. Um, What what was his self-appointed ranking? He was 3-0 as well, so okay. it's all 3-0 players. Um, he wasn't sure, like, he was trying to rank himself as well and wasn't sure where to put him, uh, put himself. He said it could have gone anywhere between 3-0 and 4-0. Uh, he may have been better than his ranking suggests. Uh, I don't know that for sure because he's the he's only smurfing? Person. He may have been. He may have been <laughs> smurfing. What's going on? Trying to get that MMR. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. um, yeah, so he may He made a new account. Yeah, he made a new with account. With a new driver's free, license. Free account, nope. yeah. You know, yeah. You, can, you can make as many as you want. So he you know, was, I heard uh, if you... If you crouch down in the bottom left corner of the uterus, you actually yeah. clip out of the woman and nope. it saves like, I know, that's whole hour They later. patched it out, but yeah. if you get yeah. the pre if you get the pre build, one point six forever. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta have that. I have no idea what the old man Riley Old Man Riley tuning in with these fucking kids. No idea what the fuck is going on. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. Mitch, so have you been lying to yourself? So that's my thing. It's, it's kind of thinking of lying to myself about how good I am at tennis. Like, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am because I lost my first match. And we'll see. I have six more matches in this league, so we'll see how I do the rest of the time. But for right now, kind of got taken down a notch in my own estimation about how good I am. We'll see how that goes. Were you devastated by it, though? Did, yeah, it, like, did it discourage you? How does that make you feel? Well, uh, you know, it, that's the, the classic sports question that uh, every reporter asks after a, a match. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I actually felt pretty good about it. I thought I played okay. I thought he was just better than me. So, you know, it's uh, it's hard to be too down on myself for that. Well, God damn it! it doesn't sound like you're deceiving yourself too much unless the deception so- is that you're actually better than he is and you just got to step up your game. That could be the case. I don't know. I, I think the deception was more beforehand, thinking that I was going to run through this, this level, the 3-0 level, and then kind of getting a, a reality check that that's not going to be the case. Overconfidence? But, uh, yes. Nice. A little bit. Uh, yeah. What's, the, re- what's yeah. the roots of that? I mean, what's the root of this kind of overconfidence that you have? He like, plays <laughs> against me all the time. <laughs> I play against him, and I play against, uh, like... Present company is, uh... <laughs> yeah, playing... I mean, all the people I played against, I played against David, and I, I tend to beat him. I played against my dad, who never played uh, in college, although he played against... He's played for a long time. He played against people who are on his college team, and he's pretty good. Uh, and I tend to do well against him, and mm-hmm. then uh, also my uncle, who I feel is pretty good, play against him and do well enough. So even though I I've only played against those three people, I uh, still got uh, some kind of judge of my abilities, and maybe kind of thought that I was better than I actually am. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a difference between informal and formal competition? Because the way that we play is very loose. It could mm-hmm. be, um, and and I think being loose helps. Like the last time I played against my uncle, I was hitting really well, hitting strong uh, through my backhand and, and on the forehand especially. I didn't feel like I played badly on, on Sunday when I lost the league match, although I probably probably wasn't as aggressive as I need to be. I was playing a little too safe uh, because it, it counts, because it's yeah. uh, uh, This shit formal. matters this time. It matters. It's for real. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's for all the marbles. Yeah, formal competition. Yeah, that might be the case. So it might have just been the mindset of playing for fun as opposed to playing to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that might be true. So um, as a play for fun, you're you're high up there. 
Yeah, I, I'm, well, maybe that's true. Maybe yeah. that's part of the self-deception is if I'm playing looser, I think I'm better, or if I if I actually play more of a formal setting, then I tighten up. And mm. yeah, it's it's hard to say. Um, but and this is true for other things that I've done as well, uh, not just tennis. But going back to uh, uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee, you probably don't want to dwell <laughs> on that course. too much. No, yeah, it's you, fine. I talked yeah. about sports on the porch cast. You talked a lot about sports. That yeah, we did. Um, but yeah, when I went to my first, so I, I was. I don't hate that game. I just hate all of you for playing it so much. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I just, that. I just need to make sure that you understand. It's the, yeah. It's. I don't hate the game. I hate the. So players. when we started yeah. playing, uh, really, when we started playing really in back in oh five oh six, kind of competitively. Um, I was probably the the best player um, among Ever. our group at Timber Creek because uh, I won like oh, the, yeah. the school tournament that we had and stuff. Uh, Were you the best in your algebra honors class? I I may have been. You never know. <laughs> Possibly in the state. Um, so when I went to my first more regional tournament or local for Central Florida, I thought I was going to do really well. Um, the I lost my first match. Uh, so not in the state. Not in the state. No. no. This was uh, well. This was this was in Florida. This was at uh, near UCF Gigabits Land Center. Uh, lost my first match, and then the guy who beat me, I went and watched his match, and he lost his next match. It's yeah. like, well, I am not close to as good as I thought I was at this game. Well, I mean, that doesn't necessarily sound like self-deception. That sounds more like you have you have a pond-sized problem where your your yeah. degree of fish, the degree of fish that you qualify as, depending on the arena you pick, yeah. is completely out of whack. I mean, that's... The, the concept of being number one in any particular activity where you try to strive for the top and you think you're good because you've been looking down the whole time you've been yeah. looking at you've been looking at what you're doing and it looks great and then you look up and, oh right yeah. all these other people me. have been doing this too yeah. it does look good you, to me but I you feel start like... off thinking I'm the best of the worst and then you realize well I'm also the worst of the best yeah. <laughs> oh that's definitely true but I feel like at this point I've had enough experience with that. Uh, that I should recognize. They should know better. Yeah, but it, it's still the same thing happens. I mean, it feels good every time. Not just sports either. Like, I'm probably a much better driver than 90% of people on the road. It's funny you say that because that may not be true. It but might go not ahead. Be. I don't know. I don't know if I'm actually a good driver. I'm just better than most of the awful drivers that we have in the state of Florida. So, yeah, but, you know. I mean, I'm a comp. I'm mid-level Florida driver, which yeah. is. Probably lethal most other states. Yeah, I, I would say so. It's, yeah. it's dangerous here. No, that's that's a uh, that's an effect that constantly gets reported in uh, when people talk shop on uh, pop psychology. They talk about the fact that people overestimate yeah. how good they are at things, which it turns out that's actually bullshit. It is part of the yeah. red tide in psychology where all of these studies are not being replicated uh, because it turns out that uh, the science behind a lot of social science not very scientific. <laughs> But there is an in. I agree. As a political <laughs> yeah. scientist, I, I absolutely agree with that. But there's, but there is a good correlate because uh, a lot of people have probably heard that people tend to assess themselves as being smarter than average and being better drivers than average. Those are usually the two that come up. But that does not work across the board. That self-deception is actually a form of availability bias because most people, Dylan excluded, probably, rate themselves as below average artists. Yeah. Because oh, they don't do it that often. The reason you think that you're an above average driver or an above average thinker is because you do both. Hopefully you're doing at least one of those things a lot. Like the, mo the average person 
by the time they're 30 years old has probably put tens of thousands of miles in cars if they drive cars. That's a lot of actual experience. Like they have hit a point where they are virtually, they ought to be, if they had been practicing it deliberately, they should be practically masters of the art of driving a car. So it makes sense that they would think they're better than average. By contrast, if you don't draw on a regular basis, there's a strong possibility that maybe everybody else is good at it and you're not, and there's nothing for you to go on. Yeah. So you probably shouldn't draw. You just should just calm down on that and do it every once in a while, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's an interesting point with the experience, though, because there's the, I don't know what it's called exactly, but the 10,000 hour rule, where if you do something for 10,000 hours. Yeah, the Malcolm hours, Gladwell rule. Yeah, yeah, that you, you're supposed to become an expert. That's mostly jive, but yeah. the, the, idea, the idea behind it is reasonable. It's that yeah. talent is secondary to driving experience. Well, yeah, because most people do end up driving 10,000 hours in their lifetime, but no. that doesn't make them a good driver. No, mm -hmm. not necessarily. Yeah. Well, I also, mean, if you do something wrong for this, and yeah, that, you're just true. really good at doing it bad. Yeah. Well, and also, I think that there is this idea of self-deception where, you know, we assess our own abilities, but we fail to imagine what they mean in context, right? In that case, you know, I, I, I want to pick on you for a minute. Like, you had failed to, in a sense, uh, imagine how good the competition could be. And I think that that is a kind of self-deception in and of itself as well, where we kind of like, like Dylan right pointed out, right? You're 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 the best of the worst, but you're also the worst of the best. And that what the the crux of that, right? You're looking down and we're seeing people below us. Right. But then this idea that we pop our heads up, right? Is the why haven't we popped our head up sooner? I mean, is it purely based because we haven't been smacked down by experience yet, or was it because we kind of you know, self-deceive our, ourselves that we didn't have to imagine that kind of a possibility. It's, it's because looking at people below you makes you happy because it makes you feel on top. Yeah, I mean, preferable. I've been argument, realizing yeah. a lot of people, uh, most behaviors are based on, does it make me happy? A lot of people don't think about where they fit into their workplace or their life or their relevance because thinking about that would make them sad. That's why people don't think about a lot of stuff. I, why, I don't it's know. upsetting. Is that why we're miserable? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I only look up, and I only think about where I fit in, so I'm at the bottom all the time. Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily always a down comparison. I think that it is merely more comfortable normally when you're working on something that you're iterating on for the sake of perfection or for the sake of excellence, the way, you know, you either your podcast or your tennis or your art. You, you don't necessarily need to compare yourself to anyone when you do those things. In fact, it's entirely possible when looking down that you're not even looking across at mm -hmm. other people who are of equivalent skill. You are merely absorbed in execution because it, once you hit a certain point, and this is, this is an interesting threshold in art, which is why most artists, even if they don't have talent per se, if they don't have innate talent, which is kind of a wishy-washy term, they have to start early because you need to, before you're done being a child, you have to get over the threshold where it is satisfying to execute. Because if you're not at a point where you are satisfied with the execution of a painting or a song or any of those things, you are too discouraged by that process. Um, and you don't have to look to anyone else when you're doing that. In fact, it tends to be deleterious because you start comparing yourself to other people and your execution magically stops being as comforting. Mm -hmm. That's uh, a subject of talent. That's a good point to get into. Mitchell, do you feel that you are, are the best? Innately, that innately you're Roger Federer's lost grandchild, <laughs> godchild? Well, I feel no, like, but uh, do you feel naturally good at tennis? It's a good question. I feel like I have some talent at tennis. I don't think I'm talentless. I don't think I'm starting from the bottom when I haven't played in a while and started playing about a year ago. Right. Um, no, I, I watch enough tennis that I've kind of got an idea of what to do, and I feel like I can execute that at a decent level. Um, even from a start. 
But again, that might be deluding myself <laughs> a is, little bit. Is starting off doing, you know, above, being above your peers at anything that you would do, say, you know, a sport, art, um, even schoolwork, I mean, to say that a child is gifted. Um, I mean, when you look back and say, oh, I was the best at fourth grade math, I mean, it's fourth grade math, huh? <laughs> You're, you caught on quicker. Yeah, you already cashed that yeah. check, right? You, you, you cashed the check. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be great at, you know, high school calculus. Where does... Cause is, that's, is talent a deception? Is it setting you up for for that mentality of, I'm already good at this. I'm, I'm looking down. I've started at the top. As someone who is constantly accused of being talented by people just in offhand comments, yeah, I can tell you that this is a plague that has to be fought tooth and claw yeah. the same way you have to address liberty by bloodying the tree. Yeah. There is no way for me to know how good I actually am at something yeah. without presenting it to people because I have no internal metronome that I can rely on for the quality of my work. Uh, and this is at least not that I can rely on all the time. I've had to build one because it's hard to get honest feedback out of people who are attempting either to be friendly yeah. or to, um, or you know, who honestly just don't have a metric to use to understand how good you are because they're not in the field you're in. Um, yeah. And it's especially hard when I'm not an artist, but I know what I like because talking to that will make you so frustrated. Yeah, where do you go? You don't. You have nobody. Well, there's no, there's no objectivity. You have no yeah. driving. You don't have a vernacular to describe what is good about this. Yeah. Like, which that's part of the that's part of the reason to develop a community. It's yeah. part of the reason that the tennis league thing. I mean, yeah. I may ask you about that if that's within reasonable driving distance where yeah. I live. That actually sounds like a cool thing to get involved with. Mm. Is to just is to have something outside of my internal mechanisms, which. Again, as I alluded to, I had to hone. I don't know if everybody else here has this experience, but given that school, given that in school teachers couldn't spend much time with me because they needed to instruct other students on how to do things, I was forced to use introspection to determine when I was doing things well because no one was there to critique what I was doing at the level I was doing it. I mean, I don't know. I know you were in gifted programs from elementary school on forward. Ryan, were you? Dylan? Yeah. 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 So, uh, I uh, like, did we all have this problem where we had to do so much self-assessment that uh, it kind of destroyed the outside world? I still looked out and seeked, you know, advice from others. And then when that feedback was neutral, if, if it wasn't anything but impressed... I, I, that, that type of failure hurts worse than anything else is being told you're good at something and then doing it and disagreeing either them, me disagreeing, especially me disagreeing <laughs> or, um, them, t they take it as, well, of course, cause then every accomplishment feels totally numb and every failure is highlighted with expectation you should have succeeded at this. This is actually being greatly helpful for my... I've been having a lot of trouble with this problem of do you award people participation trophies? Would you award a talented person a participation, participation trophy? If I showed up to my job and did everything I was expected to do, did like if I made a list mm -hmm. and wrote down every task I had to complete and I completed it, right. each one, did I do a good job that day? 
Yeah, there's there's the completion aspect, but then there's the quality of the work that goes with it as well. And when I was in gifted classes too, I think the self-deception that I had was that A, you know, I only put effort and talent, my talent into things that I felt I yeah. wanted to, to work on. And so like, you know, I basically, I got terrible grades uh, all through high school is because- Word. Yeah, yep. yeah, no, it's like 75% <laughs> of it was just like nonsense to me and I just got by. I mean, really yeah. got by. So someone's like, well, you need to do better. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like I care. <laughs> you know, like, Why that was didn't my you reaction. read your novel for anatomy? Because mm -hmm. that's fucking dumb. Yeah. I made a challenge out of not, in 10th grade, I made a challenge to myself never to read assigned reading yeah. through the rest of high school. And Fuck I did you. just it worked fine. Out, yeah. worked out for me too. I failed my first quarter of uh, AP Lit because I didn't read any of the summer reading. And, and I, I came back and I did fine. Yeah, they averaged too. a 79 <laughs> and a 79 together into an 80B. Yeah, I got a B in a class, in a Lit class I uh, never read a book for. The... Sorry, Miss McGee, your class was wonderful. <laughs> I'm an asshole. I, read, I apologize. I, I at least read some of the books during the year, but before nope. I started reading that. Not so even. No, I remember. And I, I, remember. I feel bad about it. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. No, me at all I feel now. terrible yeah, too. It's, it's like, not a good thing, oh no, I feel great about it. What are you guys <laughs> talking about? I fucking. I had to read two books. I read one of them, and then read the first five pages. Went, this is dumb, and then threw away the other. Like I think I actually threw it in the trash. And then when we were told to like do two assignments on each of the book, and I did a. We had a choice of like five paragraph essay or a drawing for one of the books. And I drew the book I read. Right. You just and drew then the book? No, I drew like a scene from the book. Oh, okay. And it was actually. That would have been right. pretty meta if you just drew the book. <laughs> me reading the book. This yeah. is me doing it, I swear. Yeah. Um, and then for the this other book. This is the book, photographic proof. <laughs> then I realized I kind of shot myself in the foot. I had to write about this other book that I had not completely read. So I wrote about the reason I didn't read it. And I got a fucking A. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I knew where the book was going to go. The teacher's fighting the power. Yeah, fuck it, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, yo, this kid's able to, I mean, but that's the other thing. I was able to, like, take a critical analysis of something based on very little information about it, which none of those kids would have done had they read the whole fucking right. book. They would have just talked about, you know, they would have just spat it back out. They would have just summarized the book. They would just cliff note it. Well, you know, to me, to that experience of, like, what we choose, is there self-deception in what we choose to have ourselves judged on, right? That's the, yeah. that's the initial problem, too. And for, right. for me, the best experience in high school was our gifted studies cl class I had with uh, uh, Klongerbo was his name, Ross Klongerbo. That's a good name. And the whole semester was three projects. And I did the uh, one, the middle one I did on cinematography, and the last one I did was on Hunter S. Thompson. Like, I'm a, I'm a high school senior doing a project on Hunter S. Thompson. And I got so into the thing, I did a, a whole class, like the 15 minutes, I did an entire presentation on Hunter Thompson. You know those trifolds? I had three trifolds on Hunter S. Thompson. I had just completely over, like, absorbed myself into this. You had a non-fold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It was like a wall, man. It was like this wall of Hunter Thompson, three trifolds I together. Nine to is Nana. Nanafold, yeah. Nana gold. It yeah. was. It was I mean, I had like just gone into this thing full, like full force, and nothing else I applied to in high school that ma ma matched that ability. And in that sense, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like they were worthy enough to be judging me. And this is a very <laughs> teenager-like feeling that I had yeah. to get over. And that's what, teenager. Oh, well, and no, because I think too that you know there is an extended adolescence that many people go into their twenties. I certainly went into my twenties, oh, yeah. like far into my twenties, with this kind of extended ad adolescence of just like fuck it, man, I'm going to do what I want when I want and for my own desire and pleasure. And there was just so little short-sighted so, so short that I was so 
just wrapped up in what I wanted to do and not willing to feel that other people had a right or an ability or the, uh, you know, I didn't recognize any experts. I didn't recognize as anyone as having a valid view on these issues as well. Mm -hmm. And that was the self-deception that I had that I could internalize this. That was the problem was that I didn't really go through the introspection too much because I just followed whatever the fuck I wanted to do and didn't link up anything beyond that that I felt was could be relevant to like critique or offer advice. I, like, I fucking knew yeah. it. I knew it all. Yeah. And Blocking out criticism is... That's that's problem. the thing, yeah, because who because that's the other type is that once again, who do we get to critique us, right? That community who are you we build. To judge? Well, who, yeah. well, no, that but that community we build is that the self deception, right? The sample that we test our talent against, right? That's also a part of self deception too, and that's the kind of difficult thing that we have to kind of address overall, and it's something that I certainly try to work on as well. Oh, I thought you. Yeah, we had a head nod. You agree. head nod, man. You're in. That's, you know? I was agreeing. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah, that that's a great time. subject, though, of a self-deceiving community. Yes. What happens then? Um, because Reddit 4chan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's true. Twitter, Tumblr. Oh, yeah. Also, making it college. A t- <laughs> yeah, no, that, that college yeah, is. College. I, I, I teach these people too, man. Yeah. I have some sympathy to where they go through. But like, yeah, you know, we've all been through that community. Yeah. And how do you? Well, it's not get necessarily away? toxic. It's just that it's insular. It's it's mm. you're only getting views from people that you agree with or that will validate your your opinions or your works or whatnot. Is Septic. looking up just so effortful? Because when you're in a community, you're at least looking side to side. Is it really just that leaning your neck all the way back is the pain in the ass, or is it a is it a problem of arrogance? Yeah, it's a, I, for me it was for, for me it was definitely. You don't arrogance. think it was a blend? You think it was just straight arrogance? Yeah, I was a prick, man. There was no, okay. <laughs> no way to get it in many stretches I mean, of the words. For, for what it's worth, I agree. I was absolutely the same way. Yeah. In fact, I I still absolutely struggle with that because I do I do approach everything with a "Who are you to judge?" attitude. Mm-hmm. I just try to apply it to myself more often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's been my that's been my way to deal with it because turning that switch off is a chore. Like, right. it's not something I have necessarily overcome. It's something I have to live with. But it's something that, when measured and properly uh, properly considered, you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true, and that's also it's the same for me. It's one of the reasons that I actually like my job, among <laughs> several reasons, actually. Uh, but it's that uh, I'm probably one of the smartest and best people there, and that's, uh, I mean, you can kind of measure that based on the, the internal statistics that we have. It's not just... Uh, and this you, is can you, hard you can use hard data. You can prove data. this. this is actually, you can hold up that number one yeah. finger and mean This isn't it. something I have to guess at, like tennis. This is something <laughs> that I know. And keeping myself, uh, keeping myself in that, in this community, in this case a job, where I actually am looked up to by a lot of people as being the authority figure. Right. I mean, it's, it's nice. I, I mean, it's, it's a good thing. Does, but... How long is it going to take for that to be corrupting? It's hard to say. I don't know. And maybe it already has. <laughs> it takes uh, going onto a podcast and fucking bragging about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, good old hubris. That's my favorite thing I ever heard in a TED Talk, I think. Uh, and there were not many. Uh, <laughs> Ted's kind of a poisonous organization. They, that's that's a topic for another time. Yeah. The, the, uh, the dilettanting of... Uh, the dilettanting and marginalization of progress and technology and hard work. But someone <laughs> someone talked about, um, someone was talking about being wrong. And I love the thing she said. It was, what does it feel like to be wrong? It feels like being right. <laughs> That's the problem. If you if it felt like something to be wrong, you'd be wrong way less often. It you You can't tell. That's why you are asserting what you're asserting, because you think it's true. 
Mm. Well, what was it that uh, Donald Trump said that if he's ever wrong about something, he'll think about apologizing when it happens? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, At least he's got a game plan. Uh, if, if he's ever wrong about anything in the future, it yeah. hasn't happened yet. It turns out he likes Christmas. I heard that. Who doesn't like Christmas? Um, I, I don't know. Marxists. Yeah. Hillary Clinton, I assume. <laughs> I mean, Probably. all yeah. his competitors yeah. hate Christmas. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I mean, he's basically the anti-Santa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gray as opposed to white. I'm not sure I see that, but okay. Well, does he well, take, he's com- does he's he competition. He's away. trying to give stuff away to people. Well, does he take toys away from children? Is and that... and redistributes yeah, them. Yeah, from rich kids <laughs> and distributes oh, okay. them to poor, grubby inner city youths. Imagine if Santa Claus and Robin Hood just fused together. And it's not give to all. It's take from... He goes into your house to steal things. Okay. And then it's all—it's magical. Though, I see it now. This, this is going to be a political ad at some point. He, this is going to be an animated short film oh, okay. uh, at some point. Nice. Bernie Sanders goes to Rich Kids of Instagram and goes, what the fuck? That's what Bernie Sanders goes. He looks at Rich Kids of Instagram and he goes, what, why do these people have this stuff? Like, what is, what have they done to, to earn this? You know, like that they've inherited all of this. What, why, why is this the case? And I, I, I that's a great teaching tool, by the way. You'd like turn on which rich kids of Instagram and you like post the stuff out there of like teenagers living this kind of a life and talk about self-deception, right? They, these are, you know, the, the, the idea that, you know, you are born in the, born on the mountain and like thought you were worked that, it. Yeah. You, you thought you climbed it, right? Like yeah. you were born on the mountain and you're like, Oh man, I, I was, I made it, you know, like, but you didn't you look, didn't. look, pot calling the kettle black. This can <laughs> in a lesser to a lesser degree, absolutely applies to this conversation. Lay it on yeah. me. Um, hiccup talent does to some extent exist. I have, fought tooth and nail to disbelieve that for a long time because it's highly damning to everything I ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is absolute, the fact that all four of us were in gifted programs, I mean, sure, they lower the thresholds on that and they let a lot of people in. They don't let everybody in. Right. Mm. Um, paying for that in some sense, it's not that all the rich kids are oblivious to what they have been gifted. It's just that one of the easiest ways to deal with being granted a gift that has been denied to others is to play it off like you don't care because that has the least emotional weight. I mean, having to carry around the onus of responsibly using that money or that power or that talent First off, requires work, and fuck that. Yeah, I'm already rich. Yeah. But yeah, two, it would make you sad. Why would well, no, but that? that but that's the thing is that 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 only lets a hand that only lets a bunch of them sleep well at night. That's why you get so many people who at least try to donate to charity and then are still on. So, like a lot of rich people are still on Xanax. Yes. Like they still do all these things because they can't get that out of their head. It's not like you can go. You can't. There is no amount at least not for everybody, that qualifies as fuck you money. Like, Bill Gates doesn't feel the need to divorce himself from the rest of humanity because he is built in such a way that there's no amount of money he could possess, which, by the way, is more now practically than it ever was. Mm-hmm. Like uh, 72 billion was what oh, I said. I thought it was 80. Day? It's probably lower now. Well, it dropped from yeah, last year. Yeah, I, I don't doubt Fucking China. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you can't, you can't necessarily, you can't just fight that off with money or talent, because at some point you feel like you need to contribute. Yeah, but once that's the, that, they're they're just looking, you feel you know, like they're not taking their heads up, you know, they're not. Yeah. Well, there's nobody, I mean, if you're that rich, there's nobody who has more money than you, so. Jesus. Yeah, okay. Okay. 
but that's in but, friendship and yeah. <laughs> but no there's I mean why have that kind of self-deception there anyway because look the biggest problem ultimately ultimately with self-deception is that we tend to think that whenever we're satisfying something that makes us that is pleasurable in a wider ex- extent right that happiness that big ball of happiness we're all striving for that's what we're looking for and we feel that whenever Speak we're achieving yourself. it okay yes but well satisfaction maybe not happiness okay, okay fine. satisfaction we'll, we'll I shall not niggle. We'll we'll draw that (laughs) circle a little wider then, and we'll incorporate happiness as a part of it. I think that overall, right, there is this, and I don't want to get all theoretical or philosophical about this idea too, but there is a sense, yes, there there is the (laughs) sense, right, that we think that when we are accomplishing this this satisfaction, right, this is us being truthful to ourselves. But there's the larger question of self-deception, which is that why do you want what you want, right? Why do you desire what you desire? Why and what is it about that that is part of the self-deception that we have? And then ultimately, you know, that I think a lot of times what we consider introspection, and you mentioned before that this can be a thoroughly humbling and miserable experience, and is not like an afternoon, like I'm gonna have some introspection today, and then it's gonna come out glowing on the other side, like I figured oh, no, something it happens out. while you're trying to be productive, or um, you know, people are talking to you, or you're working, right? Um, and in how, opportune times. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like I'm in a wedding and I'm like, "This is the worst. This is it. This is in." I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm not happy. But then you, as you question why you want what you want, I mean, do, I think do people do enough of that? Like, do people? No, act, not yeah. at all. And it frustrates me a lot. Okay. Well, I mean, how how have you how have you encountered it personally? How have you, how have you encountered it in other people? Does anyone want to maybe? Um, primarily in the workforce. Right. Um, people. People actively not caring about whatever task they're doing. To willfully say, I don't want to try hard at this. It doesn't matter to me. Okay. When they've put forth the effort to be there in the first place, it drives me up a wall. Okay. Um, to see people just not think about where they fit in mm-hmm. and what they're what where people who only take people who only expect. Um, yeah. Give me let's, a second. Let's go to, for yeah. let's. Uh, let's at I'm least break this down. Let's take satisfaction back off the table and just call it happiness. Do you think these people are happy? Happier, yeah. Do you think they're happier for being unintrospective? Yeah, definitely. Okay, well then what's the problem? This is the net consumer thing. This yeah. is where this is where you you hit a problem. Uh, the because Dal- they're wrong. The, the Dalai Lama Buddhist side of this where if you can buy into the argument that it doesn't that, you know, for some existential nihilistic reason that it doesn't matter that you can be that, yeah. hedonistic. Yeah. I think it's just, hedon- I think it may actually just be hedonic. But if you can actually buy into that and believe it wholeheartedly, um, that could be a purer and better path. Again, as I've addressed multiple times, and I assume most of the rest of the people here will agree, not my path. Not one I can follow. I, I mean, I had to contend, Ryan, assuming that happiness was the ultimate goal. Because I literally, I, mean, I brought this up before, I actually prefer, I would prefer to be massively upset to being slightly happy because I just prefer strong emotions. Right. I find them more fulfilling and satisfying, regardless of whether they're bringing me up or down. Mm-hmm. I just, I am sensatic that way. Interesting. Well, okay. Oh, by the, does anyone else here share that, <laughs> or am uh, I alone in that? I, I mean, I, I think I'm not that quite that way. I'd rather okay. be, at least, convince myself that I'm happy. Then, but uh, you're okay with the ups and downs, though. Yes. At least, okay, yeah, for sure. Do you consider them essential? 
Yeah. I don't think that you can really be happy if you aren't sad or unhappy at some okay. point. Yeah. All right. Well, at least we've got that in common. Well, I don't ever need to be happy again um, to be satisfied. I'm, I'm a part That's of that difference. earlier thing, uh, the uh, nihilistic viewpoint. Of, okay. Yeah. Well, then be a hedonist. Come on, man. Well, Get on with it. Net consume. Oh, yeah. But d- okay. D- <laughs> Dylan, um, now I have, you know, I have done, I've, I have worked where I didn't want, I didn't want to devote myself to work, right? And we all do things for money here, right? That yeah. if we had the choice, if we could be doing what we'd prefer to be doing and making a living with that, would we be doing that? Right. And I, you know, I worked construction for a long time. Being a professor is only is just a great job, but it is definitely just it just pays the bills. I mean, it's a great way to pay the bills, but it just pays the bills. And like, how do we I mean, how do we kind of reconcile this idea, too, which is that, you know, it's perfectly acceptable to like, you know, put your, you know, to punch your time card, right, just to put your time in and then whatever, you know, that's my that's my bill to society. And then everything else outside of my leisure. Right. That's what I actually try to actuate. That's what actually that's what actually gives me a sense of satisfaction, a sense of happiness. And it'd be nice if I could, you know, pay my bill and punch my time card and not be a fucking miserable human being while I do that. That's that, you know, we're all trying to just minimize this massive amount of misery that we have to go through. And I don't doubt it. I mean, I want to link up what I like to do with how I make a living more as well. And I think that that, too, is where you tend to see a lot of people just punch their time in and punch their time out. And I mean, really, I mean, is that the kind of brutal self-deception when they tell themselves that that is necessary, that this is the only way? I mean, do do they just have the talent to make it happen otherwise? I I do. I'll let you go in just a second. I just want to establish a term in the same way that we have a couple floating around here. I want to establish the idea of an American versus a European work style. In a European work style, you work 40 hours a week to finance what you love to do on the weekends. And in an American work style, you do what you love for 80 hours a week. Yes. Um, just those two, those two poles, like there's a little bit of middle ground sometimes they occasionally mix, but that's generally what people fall into. They either do what they love to do 80 hours a week for a living, or they do, or they do like, I think everybody around this table does, they pay the bills for 40 hours a week so that they can do what they want to do when they're done. Yeah. 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 Cause we're, so I just I want, I want to establish those as terms, I, American and European work. Because we're, I mean, being a professor, you know, teaching has been more and more to me like something that's taking me away from something that I want to be working on, and that that is, like, I'm like that sucks. I'll, yeah, man, that that really is frustrating. And like I said, it's it's not that big. I don't feel like that frustrated anymore. Like going to do it. I mean, I I still like it, but it is more and more over time, like feeling like it's pulling me away from something I I want I really want to be doing. And I mean, you uh, like. So here's my self-deception. Um, I, I'm just seeing most activities. You were saying um, try to be a net consumer, and I don't believe that's even possible. I, there, I just always feel this entropy, just this net loss of every endeavor. Say you put, you know, three weeks into trying to do something, and you get half an hour of just reveling around the room feeling good about it. Is that time, is feeling, is, does it feel that good for that 30 minutes to make up for the three weeks of just misery? Yeah. Yeah. If you're me, <laughs> yeah. if you're Mitchell, if you're Ryan, it sounds like. Well, I mean, to some extent, like, like I, I'm I, assuming that's just a chemical imbalance and that's why I'm like <laughs> looking into it because I'll get finished and be, then it'll just be done. It no, every task feels like hitting myself in the head with a baseball bat, and just because I'm done doesn't mean I feel good about it. Yeah. Um, that is an ju- awkward. There, it's just a. Re- it's just a residual pain that subsides. It's not a satisfactory swell or crescendo. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm more of the European mindset where I go to work 40 hours a week, and then after that I can kind of do the things that I want to do. But there are times when I don't really want to go to work because I'd rather be doing something else or when I just want to get out of work early. Fucking but a. then I find that when I'm done with work that I don't really want to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no. just kind of sitting there uh, just no, I guess being time. tired. And yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing. Is it takes too much from you sometimes, right? Like, it, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes even on my days off, though, I mean, I just want to chill and do nothing, and uh, that's what it is. So I don't know if I would want to not work. So even, even though I like my job, I don't love my job, uh, but I don't know that I would want to go without a job, even if I didn't necessarily like it, because it's something to do. It, it gives me some kind of purpose, uh, and after that I can kind of do the things that I want to do. But if yeah. I was like independently wealthy and just had nothing to do, uh, that would be terrifying to me. I don't know yeah. what I would do oh. to fill that time. So you haven't you haven't built up a uh, you haven't built up resistance to that. You don't have a self-driven purposiveness. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. And yeah. I mean, I I have hobbies, but not enough to fill. That's why you got to develop them, like parasailing yeah, and going yeah. to exotic locations. Uh, and you I've, just... been, I've been employed for like the last eight months, and before that, I was unemployed. For... <laughs> <laughs> that is entirely a job. Jab Dylan has probably worked longer in his life, which is considerably shorter than mine than I have. So, uh, I don't know about considerably. Considerable, the... considering how long our working lives. Yeah. Dylan's is probably twice as long as mine. All right. uh, so, been working the last eight months. Two of those months, I had two jobs. But before that, I was unemployed for another eight months. And I thought, well, like you said, how much work do you think you would get done if you had all the time in the world? I've gotten more done in the last four months than that entire eight months of being unemployed. Because um, not feeling like you belong somewhere, not having to wake up in the morning... Uh, when it, it rains, it pours. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a phenomenon. It's the one thing that marching band actually has going for it mm. in a statistical it sense. School. Is it, it keeps kids in school. And I mean, there's this was the number they always cited when they needed an excuse in our marching program to make sure that all the kids showed up to marching band is that everybody loses weight, which is a given because you're exercising. But everybody does better in the fall semester because they are all already at school and they have a purpose and just being in motion makes it easier to be productive the rest of the time i have the same i, I feel the same way about that when maintain i maintain uh, momentum yeah i'm i'm generally when i am productive i um i manage to stay in overdrive until that oh so satisfying collapse and crash which i've been in for the last handful of days um where you know it, you can't hold it on, you can't hold on to it forever. You got to take breaks mm -hmm. sometime, and I suck at knowing when that is, so I just kind of let it happen. <laughs> but you go, um, you go. Oh fuck! Hang on. We've been not been recording this whole time. No, 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 no. Okay, no, 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 it's, no, fine. no it's fine. We got it. No, Anyone remember what you said? No, I missed. It. So Mitchell, exactly. yeah, you joined the tennis league, did you? Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm to David's left. You're yeah. to my well, left yeah, as well. Left yeah. Yeah. My left is yeah. Dylan. Excellent. Yeah. Welcome, Welcome to everybody. episode eight. No. <laughs> No, but I mean, that's that's enough of that. It's, you know, you need a little bit of momentum in your life. You can't just go and not do anything unless, again, you have a constant fear of being unproductive, which is how I get away with it. Yeah. I mean, does, does anybody else, does I, anybody else actually get nightmares from not doing enough stuff during the day? Or is that literally something I need to be taking antipsychotics for? Because that's something that literally happens to me. I feel like just because of the fact that I'm working 40 hours a week, I feel like I'm being productive enough. So even if I'm not doing much outside of my work hours, I don't really get that. But I don't know if I was unemployed, 
if I may feel that way, I probably <laughs> would because I just it's just there's not enough to occupy that time. I would feel like I was. Not uh, doing I keep I it. keep that nightmare for what I think about during the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. Just actually self-inflicted. It's yeah. not even yeah. Yeah, no, I do. I, I live the nightmare, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get. I do. I do have that anxiety a lot. I mean, if if I'm involved in, especially if it's something that I'm involved in, I find I can't. You know, like I, it's like it's if it's reading a book, I can't get it down until it's done. Like, and I kind of like delay things, and it's how I do a lot of tasks as well. Like, you know, being a professor, you've got you know your your work time is fairly stationed out, and it's not a lot. But then you have to do a lot in preparation for for it as well. And man, I you know I do five days worth of work, but I cram them into about three days or so of actual work, yeah. and then it's like once I get out of that, I you know, have that kind of crash. You know, it's a nice little pattern you tend, to, you tend to develop overall. And then when I get done with that, it's like, you know, a kind of crash. But then I will find something to kind of like re or renegotiate or occupy myself within within that, within that downtime as well. And it's, you know, it, that downtime that isn't really down, it's just not working at your job. Even then I am so driven, that, that's why I'm driven to get this shit done over with as soon as possible because I just got, I got to get this over with and it's, very ruthless because it's like okay there's just certain standards that i have to meet and any time that there's like a hiccup in the system it's like just infuriating to me to mm -hmm. like like i shouldn't be working this long at this i have to end this a little bit sooner and get to where i need to be and where i want to be and, and prefer to be wait but you don't internalize it as that being your fault <laughs> that's what i do oh no i blame i blame the other yeah no, no it is i mean it's 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 only in the sense that it is that but it is something that is overcomable i mean you don't you 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 hate the mountain, but you love the view when you climb it, right? Like you like there's like yeah. you don't there's not the, there is the I don't romanticize the struggle to a certain extent. It is purely something to be overcome and enjoyed afterwards as well. And you do when you're in when it, only for things that like work, right? Like like stuff I have to do, like pay to pay the bill time. Afterwards, I fucking love the struggle of everything else. But it's like that other shit. It's like that what you have to do is where you're like just grinding through it, and it's like. You know, yeah, I've got to get out of there. Well, I was going to say, that's the interesting thing, Dylan, about the way that you were encapsulating, you know, your whatever anonymous three-week theoretical project where you only get the 30 minutes of pleasure out of it. You hate the mountain on the way up, but I, do you not get anything out of hating the mountain? No. Oh, see, that's... No. Okay, okay, that's weird. Yeah, you don't like life, the view. life is like driving a car with squeaky tires, and when things go wrong, you lose power steering, and if it comes back, you're still in a shitty car. Like, that's just kind of how things feel most of the time. Okay. There's only a net loss. All right, because this, this is a strong difference of opinion out. on this. And going back to that award of merit. Yeah. If you do everything set right, did you do a good job? People put everything going right as it being good. I view that as the standard of how things should be. Going beyond that is the good. Falling short of that is inadequacy. Oh, I can I can get behind that. I just can't get behind the idea that you get nothing out of the struggle. Because it, no, yeah, fucking struggle sucks. <laughs> That's why they call it the struggle. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> Hang on one second. Dead air. Okay, no, it's no, it's fine. Was, We're transitioning into the ASMR path. You should. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't, you should watch BoJack Horseman. Uh, it's really good. Uh, but it goes into. The first what? I saw the first season. Oh yeah, the second season's better. Uh, but it, it's Ooh, kind of really? the only show really um, that I've seen that goes into uh, kind of depression and self 
deception as well, where, where Bojack thinks that uh, the only thing that he can do that's going to make him happy is to make this Secretariat movie. And then it turns out that that's not making him happy. That mm-hmm. he goes through this whole thing and it uh, doesn't actually do anything for him. Well, and uh, not to dissect a show rather than any of the four uh, infinitely rich lives that we have here <laughs> to observe... But what about, I mean, because there are parallels to that idea where you think, you think you know what you need to do, and you do it, and it turns out you're wrong. I mean, does anyone have a pertinent example of, of pursuing that specific goal? Uh, that, that specific kind of goal where it felt like that was the thing you needed and it was not, in fact, the thing? Uh, unfortunately, I've been doing that with relationships, so... I've kind of been... Uh, kind of one that works to the opposite effect where, where I'm posting a trivia night tonight which should be fun yep. anybody oh, fun. if you want to come that's fine anybody um, <laughs> uh, but writing the questions I put a lot of time into it I kind of stress out about it because I want everything to be pretty much perfect I want there to be like some thematic similarities between the questions and spaced out between the difficult ones and the easy ones And there's a lot of uh, nuance to the yeah, structure I, I of a trivia think, question set uh, there is and I write all the questions myself and I try to do a good job with it and uh, what's what the, compelled you to even start doing that well, I've been to a lot of trivia nights, um, and I thought that I could do a good job uh, writing my own questions. And could I you do a better it. job? Than some of the ones that I've been to, yes, I think so. Okay. Uh, but the, the thing is, uh, and this kind of goes into self-deception as well, this is something that does make me happy. I enjoy doing this, but uh, I'm kind of self-selecting my audience uh, because uh, Kelly wants me to... Uh, there's a, Your girlfriend. Yes. Uh, okay. She wants me to... Uh, uh, to try to ask to run a trivia night somewhere somewhere public where I could have people that I don't know do it, um, which I may do. I don't know. I've, I've thought about it. But at the same time, it's kind of, it helps me when I self-select my audience in terms of friends and family and stuff that right. I know mm-hmm. will enjoy it and be happy with yeah. it. Uh, whereas if, if I do it in front of strangers, there's a chance that I'll crash and burn. Yeah, no, I've, I am doing the same thing with the podcast. I have, I have an exact parallel to this where everyone I've had on, and granted, most times you do, a pod, you do podcasts with people that you actually know. I haven't done a podcast with anybody that I don't consider a relatively close friend at this point. So I, I may be deluding myself about how well I can host one of these things, just because my audience, or not my audience, because my because the people I'm working with are being cooperative in a way that I wouldn't be able to rely upon in other scenarios. Now, granted, that could go either way, and in that case, I caught that deception well ahead of the mark. I've I've thought about that, and it's possible that I'm overthinking how uncooperative someone I don't really know would be in this environment. And thankfully, I just I haven't run out of potential guests that would be unambiguously cooperative and no one's heckled me yet so i haven't had to deal with that yeah but the um but no i there's no way even though i can't even though i wouldn't technically be deceiving myself i just straight up don't know i mean and you know with the trivia with the trivia stuff there are variables there that unless you quiz the hell out of some other people who have done it before you may just not be aware of the pitfalls sure can can we identify that as the looking up Yes, no, yeah, that's absolutely, that's that would absolutely be looking yeah. up. That's, that's going beyond your right, that's yeah. going beyond your immediate reach. That's why I did the porch cast with Ben, because it was in an uncontrolled environment with a new person in a conversational style. I tried to push the boundaries on it as far as I could, because I know that getting comfortable with this is going to make it fester, and it's going to stop being good, because it's going to get insular in a dangerous way. Okay, I got a typology here. So, yeah, okay. so set, set we need a you said table a typology. Yeah, I, I want to I want to segregate out some ideas here about you know self deception and the 
um, in the struggle, in, in, the, in, the, in the production, and in the product. So wh where we find satisfaction from things, getting all of the things together for if your trivia night, for example, uh, for your trivia night, right? This can be the idea of the struggle, right? Going through this nonsense, you know, deciding on whether or not you want to do it, figuring out what it would be to be a good uh, event, doing the questions, self-doubt, right? Yeah. All those things sure. creep in there, right? That's the struggle. That's frustrating, and it can be difficult to go through. Then there's the the idea of the production, right? The trivia night itself tonight, which uh, all the best. I hope it will run smoothly. But there's the idea of being of having the production, doing the thing that you've been preparing to do. And then there's the product, right? The, this kind of like end moment where everyone will have left the environment, where you'll be home at the end of it with your girlfriend, perhaps, or by yourself where she's fallen asleep next to you in bed and you're, you're there. Stillness. Everything's completed at the end of it, right? When, where will all of us feel most happy in our endeavors? Is it in the struggle? in the production of, of, act, of actually doing the thing that we've been preparing and struggling to do, or in that final moment, the view, the product itself. Like, Dylan, if I could ask this question of you. Like, yeah, let's where, make it a round table. Yeah, let's make it a round table. I mean, if you wanted to start us off there, where was it? Is it no, we no, know, no, we no, know no. You, don't like you get to start it because you approached <laughs> the question. Fucking hell, right? man. All right. I just All right, had never to, mind. Yeah, Dylan, I had to get enough to, to get it uh, out there. We start off uh, frustrated, okay. move, move, transition into stressed, and then empty. <laughs> All right, so I've got to find an intermediate point between. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll work it out there. I'll work it. I'm gonna find what makes you happy, Dylan. I'm gonna find what makes you happy. Um, something that I've been finding makes me happy is being out in nature and not making plans. Drugs. I wish. <laughs> not drugs. Yeah, drugs. No, I've drugs tried are, drugs. It doesn't. Drugs are nature for your mind, do we do Dylan. A PSA? Say eh to drugs. Do we need to do Say a PSA? Eh to drugs. Stop. Do a PSA about drugs. I just do drugs. Did. If okay. you do Dude, drugs, eh drugs are like what? Like they're tools, and they're not as effective as tools as most people seem to assume they are like just fi figure it out man yeah. there are other ways there are other ways and this isn't like the feel good stuff there's there's utility better, there's, there's better ways to get out of it yeah there's utility in it uh, so nature i'm not i'm not like... saying don't i'm saying <laughs> if you're just if do it when you've given up that's all i'm saying <laughs> oh my do God. it when you're out do it when you're out of other options <laughs> all right uh, and that's dark, but so are drugs. But David, Say after drugs. Uh, nature is my druggish anti-drug. See, there you um, go. Not ha throwing away any type of planning or expectation, and then just going and seeing how far you can go with no expectation. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to go out. I don't know how much money I have. I want to go kayaking. I'll pay whatever amount. Just living truly in that moment. Uh, and, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you that day is actually dying. That's good. Because okay. that means that my hope isn't that I'm actually dying. But do you, I mean, do you not take you some know? part of that with you into the struggle, into the production, into the... Pro I mean, is there not something I'm, that bleeds over into the other things? I'm sure that during the struggle, there are, like, the micro-successes of yeah. a snag hit, <laughs> and then it solves... It. That's the thing. I get the most satisfaction out of snags that solve themselves. Yeah. Like I, I okay, like good. I like watching cogs turn. Yes. Um, if I were to do drugs, I would probably just sit and watch tessellations all day because I know everything would be working out, even though it t looks looks like total bullshit. Right. Just knowing that things are working out is it's my ground level of things being good. again. It's the ground level of things being good. Man, tessellations things, is like the perfect example of visually things working out. Yeah, hexagons no. No are spaces. my hexagons are my favorite fucking shape. And you, you get six sides and that shit's still working. Fucking they found dude. They found a new no, regular no, 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 polygon no, no, no. that is a tessellation. I was super excited year. about wow. that. That's it's, a good thing. It had been like what 
50 years? Yeah, it was like 50 years. Yeah, it's exciting. That shapes are exciting. Geometry. Shapes were, yeah, geometry is really Shapes are pretty good, yeah. So that's cool. I mean, I I do. Are you a 2D or a 3D guy? Um, I respect 2D in a way because I don't feel I'm as good at it. uh, Good at as it. It as. There you go. We get it. We get it. Edit that in post. All right. I'm not (laughs) editing a word Our mistakes are out there for the world now. Make it worse. Just play the (laughs) look. Um, you didn't even answer the question. Huh? <laughs> what 2D question? or 3D, man? Um, I like looking at 2D. Oh, okay. all right. All right, David. Struggle, production, product. Do you, do you find a sense um, of, of, of self-satisfaction there? Uh, I disagree with the framing of the question, oh, sir. okay. All right. Struggle is part of the whole deal. Right. Um, no, no, no. If it, the, the three categories, as I thought you had laid them out, and I guess I was just, I forgot three categories while I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you have the inspiration and the production and the I like coming up with ideas. Okay. Yeah. I'm an idea coming up with dude. Gotcha. I've got just reams of theoretically dead electronic trees yes. full of things that would be great if I had the time or wherewithal to yeah, do. We, we've talked about the danger of living in there, though, right? And God, I no, I know, because it's so good. Yeah, no. But I, there is something that's better, and that is accidentally falling into a succession of productions mm-hmm. that just click the way that they're yeah. supposed to. Yeah. The, they require a tremendous amount like, of work. That's, that's yeah, no, exactly. You, you, get the, you get the couple of pieces that just fit together and they go just one after another. That is the best thing okay, there okay, is. Okay. All right, so and it stops being a struggle because then you feel propelled. Yes, okay, so part of what the struggle is is finding that mix of inspiration, work, the, the the linking up of things and them not coming together. But then, what, I mean, once again, you talk about serendipity. I mean, you like that. I, you, I think we're I love building, that word. You're building to this idea where it this this line between inspiration and serendipity when those things do come together that has to be satisfying. And I think yeah. that that can either that can be the production. In this case, you know, Mitchell has uh, you know, and we have also as well like set this t- deadline or this time period like. These things need to come together at this point, right? The work and struggle needs to come together for the production of my friends to come over or strangers to enjoy the trivia night, and then I can nail this. And that's the thing, too, is that some people have to be called on to be on, be on their game at a moment, right? I've got a business meeting at 11 on Monday. I've got to be on my shit to do the best I can there. You don't have the luxury sometimes in life to just hope that everything will line up perfectly within that model and then boom, I'll be, you know, I'll just leave it to chance that I'll be good in that moment in the production. And then of course, after the meeting, after those things have lined up, we have this, you know, perhaps an adrenaline drain or the endorphin release of this idea that, okay, now this has happened. Now I feel some sort of that, that satisfaction I know is this loaded term or happiness or whatever, <laughs> but the after effect of that, I mean, is that some people, once again, it's, it's, you know, some people it's about the the seduction. Some people it's about the fucking. Some people it's about the the satisfaction of the conquest to a certain extent. If we could maybe bear it down to like an idea of relationships to make it a little easier than it being totally internal. That doesn't but, make it any easier for me. I know, <laughs> but some people uh, there are other people in the world, David, that Not might have, that might have understand that maybe a little bit better, right? How. How is it that we kind of find that? Because I do too. I love that moment when the struggle fucking seems not like a struggle. And I'll call that maybe the idea yeah. of the production. When this thing, when things formulate and actually become actualizable, 
actionable, whatever. And then there comes the satisfaction from that. You get the flow. So that's, would you, if I characterize it in that manner, is the struggle leading up to the tessellations, leading up to things linking together so much, could that be the production for you? And is that your most satisfying moment, David? No, they're both, they're both part of production. You can't make a tessellation without making the shapes. Yes. The shape, making the shapes is a massive pain in the ass. That's but as soon as the sh as soon as the shapes start, oh, okay, so we're done. So what we're talking about here doesn't include ideation. We're talking entirely about the part where you actually sit down and do things. No, I think the ideation is part of that struggle too. Like finding the struggle, oh, okay. finding that inspiration. Well, struggle's struggle. too loaded a word for that. Though. Okay, then. Because but, you then. can struggle through every part of that. It sounds like Dylan struggles through every part of it, including the end. <laughs> so it's... Okay, so... The, the word struggle just feels a little too loaded. Okay. Um, Mitchell. How would you answer this question? <laughs> How would I answer this question? So okay. that I don't have to think where that sentence was going. It was the struggle. Answer, <laughs> really you don't have to answer the, that question. The struggle. The, I did answer that question. The product. By refusing. No, yeah, the, this, this idea that what your the work and effort and 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 mistakes you make along the way yeah. till to putting the thing into actual practice, and then after the thing's been put into practice, there is the the view, right? So it's yeah. everything in preparing yourself mentally for climbing the mountain. There's the the climbing the mountain, and then there's the view, right? If we can pace, pace it out on those things. Uh, Mitchell, how do you kind of see with this idea of moving things forward? I think uh, without the struggle, I don't get as much out of the view. Uh, okay. And this came through a, a lot of times in school, especially because there were a lot of things that I didn't have to try especially hard for okay. uh, to do well on. Um, and I didn't get any satisfaction out of doing well on a test that I didn't study for or mm -hmm. didn't prepare for or a project that I didn't have to do any work for. But uh, for something like, like the Trivia Nights where I do put some work in and put some effort into it, right. the product, the, the presentation, uh, I get a lot of satisfaction you, out of that. Right. You can own it. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's, that's In a way that's that you, yes. it's, it's actually yours. Yes. It's not that you are merely conforming to whatever someone's expectations of getting an A were. It is... you. It, the product is inherently yours. It's like when I, again, that's why I work with, um, it's why I work with wood, it's why I build tables all the time because mm -hmm. I can I can own that as, <laughs> as fit, as fitting a particular goal. I could go out and buy something that satisfies the needs of a table or a bench or a chair, but if I actually put it together, it is mine. Okay, so if, if I could, Dylan, I, you, I knew you wanted to jump in here for oh, real quick, but um, uh, go ahead. Yeah. The idea that you said um, the view yeah, the peak. Um, that's another thing that I don't feel that I experience. Okay, accomplishing a task, you, I, I see. I don't, I don't see the view. I see the next plateau. Right. It, it's the next step, and then I get to see the next mountain. There's never, there, there's no refractionary period. Okay. There's no point where I say. It's over. It's done for. That chapter is closed in my life. You know, like how people will move to college, um, and they can say, "I've closed the book," or "I've closed the chapter on you know my life in high school," which I don't feel is true. I don't have that sensation, and life is a continuous stream. Even if it's ups and downs, it's it's never that up or that well, down. But, You're still going. But that's weird that you. It's weird you see it that way because I. I see it the same way. It's not like I get done with a podcast, go, yeah, podcasts are done. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that there are more hills to climb, but I actually find that invigorating that I'm not done with it. It's just, and I don't know if that's a framing problem. I don't know if it's that you're talking about a specific thing where, I mean, is this a feeling, is, is this <laughs> anhedonia about art or is it about everything? Uh, 
Because if it's just about it's art, about I can understand no, that. It's, it's everything. Um, really? The, uh, the company that I work for just had its big uh, internal health ex- inspection. And, uh, you know, we did really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I can, <laughs> yeah like, I can see, uh, until next year or until something breaks, like, you know? I can see if you don't kind of divide the events in your life as discrete events. I don't compartmentalize on everything. It's hard to actually reflect on anything and actually enjoy it if you're just viewing it as one thing. I think you kind of have to view things as discrete events to well, appreciate them. Well, and to, I don't... I don't. I don't. Want, no, I don't want this question to seem prickish because it's something I certainly try to ask myself. But I mean, that's it, the appeal of a story. Is the end? Well, the ties. I disagree entirely. Okay. But Ryan, yeah, I, I will yeah. continue your thought. I don't. Appeal with it. And I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't mean to direct this at Dylan in particular. Like, I direct this question to myself and everyone here as well. But is there a lack of ownership in that moment that leads you to not being satisfied within it? I mean, do you honestly? Because within that, I mean. You're having standards that, you know, A, your job has set that up. Someone else has set that up for you. The health standards, someone sets those up for you, and then you're judged accordingly. I also didn't I mean, work that job Okay, no, but like, but, like, where is there is there an ownership? Is there anything that you would f- want to or fully claim to be yours that would give you that? I mean, is there a lack of ownership in what you find yourself involved in that prevents you from, it, from finding the, the reason to do it? The fucking reason to do it. I mean, like, because I find the ownership, in my case, is so overwhelmingly oppressive that that's why I, I almost have too much ownership do you see what I'm like I feel, I feel like I have too much ownership of what I do that I kind of lose an, an, an overall attachment to it would you agree that maybe there's an, an equal problem of not having any ownership of, of being able to feel any kind of satisfaction from it um, I feel uh, that might actually tie back into um, getting that process going right saying that it's able to gain its own momentum I kind of feel like when that happens I may have conceived of the idea, but I've set it free, and it's gone on its own. Yeah, so you've you given up ownership. You're yeah, like, you, you, when you I start a word, it to the woods, and you fucking well, harry because I need to let it be good. I just don't want to stop it. It has to not be mine to be good. That's a very <laughs> stoic. <laughs> that's Fuck, a very man. stoic attitude. Uh, to talk. Which is why when Fuck. something fails, then Fuck. it's my fault. <laughs> Okay, because I didn't let it go. All right, that's dumb. You need to. Uh, you <laughs> don't necessarily need to reverse that, but if you're going to, if you are going to let all of your children free, you should at least let them all free. Mm. Back to the dungeon with you. I'm gonna get a drink Back for a second, child. so this is gonna be a break. Break, 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 break. 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 That was that was good. Should use that. What? Yeah. I'm not gonna. Was I didn't see the copyrighted Mario shit. Stop recording. <laughs> it got so dark up in here. Fuck. It just feels like therapy cans. Well, that's <laughs> exactly what it is. No, no, man, yes. it's, I mean. I mean it was a bit, this one's a bit more personal than the last one. We've only got an hour, man. we got to keep going. Uh, Morty. <sighs> I'll never watch that show. Mm. Watch it. I never have Rick to. It's quoted. Rick and Morty? It's like Idiocracy. Yeah, you never so. actually have to see Idiocracy. Yeah. There were scenes I like from that movie, but the movie as a whole I don't like. Actually, no, the, the, movie, the movie, movie is really like uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, it's not that It's great. got what plants crave. It does have what plants crave. That's yeah, like true. during the movie, that's not great, but afterwards, <laughs> <you're> like, <laughs> it, it relating back is what yeah. makes it funny. Yeah, that's true. Is that what makes Rick and Morty funny? No, it's actually funny in the moment. The the, the voice acting is really good in that show. It. 
Voice acting nope. and animation is pretty solid. I have not watched TV show since. This is going to be a lie because I've probably watched something. I've probably watched something last week. No, I've watched something since Breaking Bad. I hope. That was last year. I don't want to be. I don't want to be that far out of touch. Shit. Well, maybe that was two years ago. Actually, yeah, it was 2015. It's. It actually sucks not watching slightly more television, just because when I talk about how much I like Breaking Bad, I can't use comparatives because I don't have anything to compare it to. We well, have The Wire. And I can't compare it to that because The Wire is better. Yeah. So okay. not by that's as much com- as you comparison. Think. Yeah. You just compared it. Boom. All right. I don't <laughs> need to watch TV ever again. Watch The Wire, then watch Breaking Bad, or watch them reverse. No, you should watch The Wire first so you have an appreciation of how fast Breaking Bad actually is as a show. It, it, I rewatched it this spring. It went. It goes by way faster than I thought it did. Yeah. Watch uh, The Wire or Breaking Bad? Breaking Bad. Not The Wire. <laughs> no, what the are you wire. That's what I just had to clarify. I'm the sorry. The Wire is yeah. a slow burn. But yeah, Breaking Bad, it accelerates pretty quick into its Getting insanity. speed after the third season. Well, they have more moments in Breaking Bad as well, right? They try they try to build to the idea of, of a of a moment within within the within a specific yeah. you know like where like, uh, multiple stories well, will the, peak at a kind I'll of say, uh, yeah, the wires organic. Spoiler yeah. alert for Breaking Bad if anybody hasn't watched it. It's but, 2015. Uh, get I, with it. Yeah, I know. I I when I was rewatching it, I did not realize that Skyler figured out all of uh, uh, that that Walter was a drug dealer in like halfway through the second season. I thought it was way later than that. <laughs> I really. It uh, it took me a while to warm up to her, but I actually really like Skylar as a character. Yeah, I, I, she's hated by a lot of people, and I don't really understand because pretty much everything she's she right about pretty much everything mom. about she's, how horrible Walter is. She's completely trapped. Yeah, like she doesn't. She is. She is it, it's incredible because the only power she has is astuteness. All she has is an awareness of what is going on, and she has no other talents to speak of. And what do you do with that? Like that's that's what makes Breaking Bad a beautiful show because it's a bunch. It's a bunch of normal people with little quirks fighting a supervillain. But but isn't that kind of like a stop clocks right twice a day kind of thinking too with her overall? I mean, is no, that she's like... right more than that. Okay, she... gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. She, I'll be honest, she has. I haven't seen Breaking Bad. She yet. has oh. a talent. Like she has. She. I cover my ears. Yeah, yeah. Like she's pretty good at figuring out what's going on. But that's that's the extent of her power. She has no control beyond that. That's uh, my favorite character in the whole show is Hank Schrader, the police officer, because. He's just, you know, he's a rough-and-tumble, kind of takes-no-guff, but he's still a good, likable police officer who is completely over his head. Like, he just does not have the wherewithal to deal with the shit that happens to him. Well, and, they go and that's beautiful. And okay. they go into that. that. That relates to what we're talking about right now, actually. That yes. he is this, uh, he's really good at being a cop in uh, New Mexico. Yeah. And when he goes to El Paso... Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that is that's fantastic. All right, yes, and I think does self deception. Are we do we self deceive to protect ourselves from being in over our heads? Is that why we? Is that what is it self deceive? That's a that's a I very pragmatic thing to do. Yeah. What? I'm sorry, Dylan. I'm sorry. Self deceive to realize how high the water is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think that's definitely true. In my case, at least a lot of the time, is that I, I it it feels good to think that I'm better at things that I may actually be. So if uh, if I convince myself that I am really good at everything or really good at some specific things right. uh, without having that challenged or having that validated, uh, well, it's okay. Well, it's also it's helpful. In the short term, at least. Yeah. So. It's a helpful thing to do, though. It's, it's pragmatic to protect yourself from the absolute highest echelons of those powers, particularly when you're working your way up, because you, don't, you can only learn so much 
from those who are way above you because mm -hmm. the things they are dealing with, I mean, studying Nadal's backhand isn't going to improve your backhand mm -hmm. beyond some extremely basic uh, technique things because the yeah. balls oh, he's oh, hitting. You hit it with the back of your hand. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Directly on yeah. the back. Because the balls he's hitting are so much faster and the play he's doing is so much more dynamic than the garbage that you're doing at the level of a 3.0, let alone a 2.5, that <laughs> I undoubtedly must fit into if that scale is to be believed, which is a little depressing. Um, <laughs> I think if you want to get an idea, college level tennis is around 4.5, 5.0. I don't know what that means. Professional, like like people who play tennis in. No, I've never I've never seen a college oh, okay. person play well, tennis it, before. College would be like uh, like really low line people, like the people who lose in the first round at uh, the U.S. Open is like college level. And again, what is? But what does that mean? I mean, oh, okay. that's <laughs> you're, they're uh, playing then, against the best in the and world. And then the very best are like seven. Yeah. So. No, I'm familiar with the scale. I just okay. thought I was just hoping I'd be a little higher on. <laughs> Well, that, and that's what I thought yeah. too. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. He's like, the whole thing. you picked up your racket. One. You got both shoes on. One point five. <laughs> yeah, like right there. And then from there to three, it's uh, it's just moving around. Hard years. Sticking your hand out. Yep. I feel like I do both of those. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. That gets a you a two. A two. Two point three. Yeah, it doesn't get you a three. When you actually swing. Yeah, there you go. Two point five. Two point five. And then three is full mastery of the game. Apparently. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> College level. So, Dylan. <laughs> Back on this. I don't even know what it is. You're the one that we got to figure out, man, because you're the one that doesn't seem uh, to be all about about getting things done. Skip bombed. Uh, I mean, one thing I would like to ask is, are, are you deceiving yourself about any of this? Or is this just kind of, are you, is it uh, hard for you to see the sunny side of anything because you don't deceive yourself because you're just looking at the truth which is that your life is just a consistent uh, stretch of events and none of them can be divided into discrete ideas. Yeah, I feel like a lot of it can also be, yeah. I mean, I, I get in moods. It's mm -hmm. worse some days than others. And I, I always try to be, I guess, right more than happy. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'm not even right and I'm sure that that's a delusion is... Even though you feel right, it doesn't always have to be. I'm trying to devise these, like, truths about what life is supposed to be and how I'm supposed to live it. And, again, who the fuck am I to even make those? Um, other people, you know, their life is about making them happy or making them around them happy. Uh, and I have nitpicky ways to break that apart as being total bullshit. But... Do you? <laughs> No, 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 no. Actually, this is exactly the way we need to address this. Why are they wrong? Because they're insignificant. I like, that's the other thing. Yeah, so yeah, are you. Requires, What's the yeah. problem? Yeah, so they're no different from me. So yeah. why do they feel better about it? Yeah. Why do you feel worse about it? I mean, it's... You gotta be able to, if you can nitpick these people, it's not because they're stupid, they're happier than you. Yeah. So, whether they're dumb or not, um, to quote, to quote uh, Christopher Hitchens, completely out of context and in paraphrase, <laughs> anyone can say anything, yeah. which is a beautiful little thing. It, it, you don't have to be smart or dumb to come up with a profound or important thing to think about or say. The content is what matters, and in those instances, you I have a bad feeling that you think because you are smarter than them that the message you bear 
is inherently more valid, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Because you need to be able to give me an argument against it. Because now I am playing their advocate. Yeah. <laughs> he is them. He I, is, the manifestation I is we. Of you are the other. Yeah. Um, I had we have a, met the enemy, and he is we. I had a conversation <laughs> with uh, the roommate I have, my little brother's girlfriend, um, about, you know, uh, my boss being worried about me being sad and stuff. And uh, I just told her about, you know, a lot of the thoughts that I have all the time. And eventually the conversation got very dark and led into, uh, you know, why do people have thoughts of suicide? Mm -hmm. And she was getting really emotional and was giving reasons as to, you know, like, well, think about the people around you and what it means to them. And I, my retort to that is, so you're living in emotional captivity of others mm -hmm. that they want you alive to service them. Mm -hmm. And there, there's no inherent, like, actual love or appreciation. It's just the you're alive to service me in some way, please keep being alive because I want that, and that disappointing them is the reason that you're here. I mean, we need to do an actual episode on existentialism slash nihilism, but... Um, I'll be here. To, to, quote <laughs> an, to, to quote another paraphrase, it's hard to be sad when you're useful. And that's a very easy way to get around that. Yeah. And I mean, I've had a few uh, Work therapists... Work will set you free. Work yeah. will set you free. Uh, I've had a few therapists who, you know, I was un during the unemployed period. Um, he was just trying to get me to work, but now I'm working and I'm equally as sad. Yeah. Um, no, because it's fucking depressing too. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's especially, you know, when like, work sucks as it yeah. turns out. Who'd thunk? You know, I, I, I reached a point with work, especially when I didn't do shit that I was engaged in, where it was nice because, you know, you're, you're. At least it solves some problems, right? And it solves some yeah. th some problems. But then I don't know about how work is like. Well, for you. now I just have newer, bigger questions. Like, yeah. why does the work I'm doing matter? Yes. The company I, I mean, if the company I worked for were to go bankrupt tomorrow, and if you know, like a higher up boss were to end their life, fucking everyone goes to work the next day somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I look for a job. Like, stuff keep stuff keeps going. Yeah, what you, happened the day Steve Jobs died? You went to work. You yeah. probably didn't hear about it for most of the day. Well, no, but then, but then, like, the, it didn't influence the day after that for you. But then, to me, that you know, like painting houses, it's like you know, once you learn how to paint a house, like you just it's just rinse and repeat, right? And yet, at the same time, I did it for so long because I was the physical and mental aspects of the job had kind of segregated to a certain extent. I could execute the job and really be free in my mind space while I was doing it, and that became inherently satisfying because. You know, you can. What you do doesn't matter if what you're, if where you are is where you want to be. And in that sense, I'm not talking about being satisfied in in your position, but being in that moment wasn't wasn't so poor. And I still felt that I could think about what I had read the night before, or build on ideas that I was working on, or you know, write papers in my head that I had to do for school at the same time. And that kind of that kind of that that, that mental activity allowed the idea of working and just solving that other problem that we all have to solve. Like, I could just fucking exist in that and be comfortable in 90-degree heat, you know, caulking, so softening. Yeah. Or, like, you know, just, you know, doing something else that is physically menial. I could be the same place in my mind and still be satisfied with that. And is it 
do you find work being that satisfying as well? Like Mitchell, do you have to like devote yourself in, intently to what you're doing within that? Or is there a kind of freedom in the sense that this is what I'm doing and it, I don't devote that much time and I'm still okay with where I'm at when I'm with it? I mean, do you have to really work where you work? Like really devote over your entire self to work? Uh, before that eight month unemployment period, I was employed again for another sequence of eight months. Right. Apparently, it's a good time to work. Eight months. Yeah, um, no, I, eight months on. It's all solid. Yeah. Um, I worked at a college as a proctor, right. in which I had nothing to do but stand and watch people take tests. Okay. I had, you know, five to ten hours a day mm -hmm. to think to myself. Right. And I could validate the reason of what I was doing as being useful. Like I'm providing a um, you know, atmosphere for this school to sure. uh, validify the test that they take to right. say that they were taken in fair. Like that's a that's a service that I am actually providing, and I'm getting paid for it. Except nobody acknowledges that I'm there. Things I'm an interchangeable cog in it. Yep. They just hire people that are on a whim, and I stayed there for eight months. The mm -hmm. turnover period on that job is. Two weeks to two months. Gotcha. I stayed there four times as long as most people stay there mm -hmm. because they can't handle thinking about themselves. Right. Dylan, and does the word matter mean anything? I mean, do you, is there something that's, that's, that can matter? That's the higher problem that I've been working with. What fucking, what does that even mean? You don't, you know? if this is like the free will fallacy, by the way, there's no free will. And that's fine. Because if you try to parse what you mean by free will, um, it's not even circular logic. It's just not, it's not logically consistent. Yeah. What you mm -hmm. want to do has to be defined by something. And the fact that that is in some way deterministic or fatal is not the end of the world. Because otherwise, it's literally chaotic. And even that's not free will. Yeah. You are using the word matter without a definition. Yeah, I mean, even, even heaven is a prison, right? Like there's, you yeah. know, like you, you go yeah. there, you're banished to heaven for eternity, yeah, you can reason, even if it's wonderful. You can reason the word matter to mean nothing. And when you do that, you should stop using it because it's not, it's not actually doing you any good. Yeah. It's anti-mattering. Yeah, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Excellent. I think he's a little, I think he's been in some dark matter recently, if you ask me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just. Sounds yeah. about right. All right, yeah. Can we, can we jar that yet? Is that like a thing? Can Focus on. What? We have created uh, antimatter, not dark matter. Uh, it's called matter better. Right. Matter better. <laughs> we haven't I even. I thought that was uh, funny. Why am I the only one laughing at that? <laughs> we need nibbler for that. But, uh, okay, yeah. We haven't even come up with a, a good excuse for dark matter yet, as far as I'm no, concerned. It's all so, theoretical. Right, yeah, so it's, dark it's matter bullshit. exists. Andy, so give that me a call. Things <laughs> just can't happen. We need a physicist on here. Because what actually happens So I can yell at them about dark matter. Why wouldn't there be stuff? Well, I mean, physics is great. It has because to be something to be the, nothing. Physics Whoa. is great because if the math that you use to define the universe doesn't fit anymore, you just change the math. Or I know, right? It's awesome. variable that you don't know yet. Nah, yeah, it's, it's perfect. Science is pretty good that yeah, way. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, so <laughs> if you don't have a definition for matter that means something, you shouldn't use it yeah. to guide your thinking. Because so, you're trying to define something without a definition. You know, but also what you're saying too is that there, you know, this this construction that we have that provides this meaning or what matters in ourselves as well. I mean, this is all in a, in that sense self-deception, right? We're yeah. We, we, there, there's the illusion of choice. There's the illusion of wanting what we want. There's the illusion of what the uh, the satisfaction that makes this happiness. I mean, we we construct these levels of self-deception and place ourselves on top of it and then say, you know, this is this is my mental kingdom that I find myself in. This is the 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 light which burns inside me 
and I can and I must direct that some way. And you know, the idea that 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 is a, that is a burden. I mean, there is a real death of the author is the birth of the reader kind of problem here that we have as well, which is that you know this inherent and this inherent meaninglessness, which I feel very powerfully and felt more powerfully than I have now. Oh, I'm not I'm not suggesting in you know, in preaching to you about this, that I'm over this either. Yeah. No, no. This is this is an ongoing concern. Yeah, this is, the word yeah. matter is really, yeah, we are, really awkward. Because, yeah. you know, I think we're all, in a sense, uh, oh, I know, just, after investigating this with David for a couple podcasts, I think we are, we share similar symptoms of the same disease to a certain extent. And I find that, you know, this overall is how we kind of build this self-deception and talk about you know, throwing bricks into a void. Yeah. And well, you know, because, you know, I don't know if you know about, you know, Sisyphus and how Camus uses that overall to kind of explain this idea of, you know, Sisyphus is damned to just roll a ball up a mountain mm. and then every day it falls down and then he has to go and roll it back up. And this is eternity for him. Right. And Camus says, yes, we have to imagine Sisyphus as being happy. Right. That's what we have to do, because this is. This ultimately is the only way to look through life is to see this just this constant ball rolling up and however we can get there. And this is, you know, I've always kind of qualified when I tend to be too harsh on people other than engineers that, you know, there, there's this, you know, far be it from me to to critique or to devalue how someone finds themselves happy or, or how someone gets that Mona Lisa smile in their Sisyphusian struggle. I mean, really... Because in the end, I mean, self-deception is only just marginally b better b in different people. And, you know, I think that's part of the beauty and tapestry of individuality. I think that's the, you know, part of the tapestry of seeing it as a, as a, as I tend to see it as this larger collective as well. And, you know, how we balance that out, how we actualize that, how we try to make that a reality in our day-to-day -day lives is what we ultimately have. Because in the end, I mean, the choice of life is to a certain extent made for you until it ends. And like, that's the problem you find yourself in is just like plopped into this fucker in a system you had no choice in design in. And where the hell do we go from here? And it's just, that is a burden. That is a fucking burden. Yeah. And there's just no You're other way to, to look at it. You're free to do whatever you want in and this that, world that you have no control in. Yes, exactly. And that's the, that's, that's the struggle, man. That is yeah. that. And like, I, I've enjoyed it more in the last couple of years than I have in a long, long time. Because for a long period, I was fucking really unsatisfied with it. Very, very much so. That's a fucking bum deal. Yeah, I just feel like a 23-year-old catcher in the rye. Like, everything's phony. These mm -hmm. people are only happy because they're making fake shit to feel good about. Mm -hmm. Is kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah! I'm able to acknowledge that, though. I'm just being a child, so. No, I think, because... Maybe I can bring up another writer from. I mean, J.D. Salinger has this this theme of that that he brings up where this uh, concept of excellence, and he's like, we have to, or we have to sur try to find some sense of excellence within this. And someone asks, well, he's like, well, what the, f why, like, who is this for? And they come up with this idea. Where he says, do it for the fat lady, which is that excellence has its own reward. And even if that, if there's no one else that you can project this excellence towards, do it for the fat lady. Do it for the person who would be just gracious and accepting and loving of it when they got it in front of them. Because ultimately, there are a lot of people out there who are rejected and and who who feel very much the same way. And if there's this one sliver of which you can contribute to that brightness behind their eyes, right? That's who we have to. That's why we strive for excellence. And that was really a kind of revelation for me, which was that whatever you do, whatever that has to be, the choices that you make, they have to mean something, and you have to just strive for a sense of excellence within them. And I have found that to be a fucking, not life-affirming, that sounds like I'm a fucking Maharaja from the 60s or something, but there is a sense that it can be, you can at least build on top of that, even if it is building on self-deception. I think that falls, I think a lot of what we're talking about falls into, if we can once again turn a metaphor into a conceit, 
looking up so far that there is nothing to compare to, mm -hmm. you go into the void. And it's funny that this works out in a very physical way where the easiest way to fall into the nihilist trap is to look into space mm -hmm. yeah. because we are on the pale blue dot. And the, pr the problem yeah, is... so far up that it's not blue anymore. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing there. And the problem is um, that that just becomes a mental exercise and it doesn't it doesn't lead anywhere because I mean aside from the stars that are so far away you can't do it there is nothing up there the stuff is all at eye level or maybe just a little bit above it if we've got some plateaus in there I want to draw I'm going to draw a picture of all of our conceits in one diagram mm -hmm. so that we've got like a yeah. I don't know what the hell it would be. Come on, Art Man, what would this be called? <laughs> huh? No, no, what would it be called? It would be like an evolving picture where you've got, you just, you expand the drawing as more concepts fall in. There has to be a word for that. Panoramic? Sure, excellent. Build a panorama of, of conceit. conceit. There you are. That's an excellent, I think, yeah, that's going to happen. I'm writing that down. So That's a good idea. I'm recording and I'm not writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> You're already writing it down. Yeah. Digitally. With your voice. Word. So, I I don't know how and where the you know these answers lie. I mean, I just I, I like what what we've been doing here because we you know when we talk, I think when when we've talked before about things that we think matter as well, you know, the idea that we're putting them on the podcast now is just the oddest fucking thing to me as well. And I just had this <laughs> feeling as we were sitting outside. I'm like drinking my water, and I was yeah. This podcast is a bit more personal. Yeah. No. I'm like, what are I mean, are, what we're doing here will change us and each and our relationships to each other as well over the long term too and I do think that there far be it for me to, to on an episode about self-deception to not want to acknowledge a certain fact of this as well but there is a sense that you know you know this this is going to alter in some sense what we've kind of put forward and I don't know how we can kind of go through this and realize that it isn't going to affect us to a certain extent and how each we each internalize this and how we try to project these ideas out there because you know like David's talked about before like this shit's out there now like I uh, you know I'm, my name my actual fucking name is on these things now and we can I, take that off if you need I to. don't give a good goddamn what if, no, no just kidding like, I like no I like it and because <laughs> it's ultimately old like Ben Riley Yellow Man Riley not give enough fuck that children so would family. it be would it be okay if we put that as your name from now on not no, that is not that I object to. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Did you hear the rest of the porch cast? Did you get to the? Uh, I, I'm liking that net consumers. Mom what? Yeah, mom cast. The mom cast. I want to put your mom, my mom, and Ben's mom in one room. Okay, let um, it out. Just there's there's a dumb dynamic to that that I think would work very very well. Awesome. Yeah. I don't think my mom is listening. I don't even think she knows what a podcast is. And I'd be like, this is great. That's like, perfect. Yeah, exactly. This, I thought this was I've exactly got a couch. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Someday I'll have uh, enough lavalier mics that work <laughs> that we can make that happen. I'm pretty sure Ben's mom doesn't like my mom. So that would be bad. Yeah. I'm down with the mom I mean, cast. you didn't mention her. Oh, yeah. So. Good old mom cast. Giant mom cast. Yeah. Giant mom cast. <laughs> I think that's patented. I don't think we can oh, take okay. that. We can't take that on. We can take giant dad cast, though. Yeah. That would be weird. My dad on podcast would be cool. My dad's cool. Mm -hmm. My dad. Yeah. yeah. I'm more dad cast. Dad cast. Word. Have we established if, I mean, it, it's different cases, but uh, is self-deception ultimately a good thing um, in certain situations? I certainly see it as inescapable, and I don't know if that's a yeah. good thing. I don't yeah, know if that's, that's a mean, good thing. <laughs> uh, let's, let's pull back on what it means to deceive, to okay. make an illusion, to lie. Yeah. Um, and I mean, 
the thing that we're kind of dissecting is everything's kind of a lie because nobody really knows what matters because that isn't really here. Uh, th- all right, I think that's pulling it back way too far. Yeah, no. I think we can there push is, it. I think we can push, push it a little, little farther for forward. Like, I I don't I, axiomatically I disagree with deception when you're in an when you are in a friendly environment. Um, this is a concept that I sort of stole from Sam Harris, who sort of stole it from an ethics professor he had back at Stanford. <laughs> um, lying in a cooperative environment is almost just on principle not a good idea because at some point the cost is borne down the line, either lying by omission or by um, whatever the opposite of omission is, uh, commission. Um, And in that way, I think it's not good because the self-deception we're talking about is looking at the wrong levels. It's looking up too high. It's looking down too low. It's looking across when you should be looking up. You know, all these things. You can do those deliberately and honestly. I don't think you need to lie to yourself. It's just that that self-deception is your brain's reflexive way to do that, to protect itself. Um, And it does require a little bit more, uh, it probably requires just a little bit more ATP going on for um, for you to do that deliberately. But wherever, wherever it lies, I tend to believe that lying is not good for you or anybody you do it to. Um, just, again, axiomatically. And even though it's very challenging to extricate it sometimes. Well, so when and how are we able to, like, address these concerns? Because I am, you know, talk, we talked before, we got a round table of gifted students here. Uh, I rem- yeah, I rem- Hi, uh, class. Hey, hey. So we got... <laughs> White males. Uh, we've got this. Um, <laughs> we've got a very diverse set. We've got a very diverse set. A gifted setup. class. Yeah, white males. I don't males. know if any of you were in a gifted class. It was yeah, pretty white. Um, and male, it was yeah. depressingly white and male. So there's an Asian and like, white. White. Cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. White. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so they want to be what? Have you seen Korea? Have you seen anything on Korea? They just want to be white people. It's pretty terrifying. Plastic surgery is very common in Korea. That could also be kind of self-deception in that they they want to believe that they have these perfect bodies. Uh, I think that's a deliberate deception. Well, maybe that's true, but uh, <laughs> I had a point for a second there. I, no, 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 no. I'm just I gotta recapture it because th- I've got J-pop images in my mind now. So okay, K-pop, K-pop. Thank you. Yes. All right. Excuse me. Deception. So. Ultimately, I think that like the idea of it being of it, of it, of axiomatically self-deception being a negative overall, and it affects not only yourself but the others you're involved with. And there is a tricky sense too that you know when we talked about expertise, we talked about this dynamic of you know within ourselves and then being looked at or judged in terms of the relationship or the the uh, um, you know the outsideness of what expertise entails as well. And yet, when we look at self-deception, we have to recognize that there is a sense that introspection, right, that, that self-deception and introspection is linked together and how we look at ourselves. I mean, how we examine what we look at, why we ask what we ask. Because you, I, 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 you rather, you characterized it in what we're doing here in a way that I felt fairly uncomfortable, uncomfortable with, and I'd like to address that now, if I may. Go ahead. You called what we're doing here bullshitting. And I know it's a, I know it's a lightweight to kind of think about what we're doing here, and it adds a certain amount of levity to the, to the process here. But I, I don't think it's bullshitting. I think that, you know, the, the ability for us to kind of exert this, this social introspection that we're kind of doing here together is ultimately important. And I think it's a skill or a talent or a drive that a lot of people lack. 
and I, and I think that they are unwilling to not open themselves up. That sounds so fucking 60s, but it, like the sense that they are willing to just at least address it as a common factor that we all, in a sense, share, and then be willing to say, you know, like this 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 is a part of me. It's not all of me. I mean, I don't I don't know what all of me entails, and I'm not self deceiving myself that I have this perfect knowledge of myself, but yet you know, here are these ideas. And I remember being, when I was at Valencia, I was there, I flunked out of Valencia very quickly, but I was talking with the professor outside of it and we're really discussing these things and he, we're sitting around all these people and he's like, how many people do you think talk like this? Like what we're doing now? How, how many people do you think actually talk like this? Mm. And he says, is there not something that is evident in that ability to look at ourselves and try to see how, where and how we fit in with this, with this, just this incomprehensibility that we're that we're forced to deal with. I mean, that I think is ultimately not bullshitting. I mean, it's a very nice way to think about it, and it's certainly fun to think that way. But I think it just has to be dealt with a little bit more seriously than uh, that. I use the term bullshitting because what we are doing is extemporaneous. That right. is the only reason I use the term, and I don't think that's being deliberate. I I think that's only deceptive in a playful rhetorical way. I think the people that are listening understand at least at least to some extent that we care about the topics we're talking about and being and saying the word bullshitting this is this is something that i would like to drive home as just a general another general principle that i live by it is possible to be playful and serious i i mean i don't really have a cho- i i was about to act like i have a choice i care intensely about yeah, yeah, yeah. everything i do and think about even when it is deliberately playful because my brain operates at 95% in its focus on whatever it's doing. Right. I can't not care. Right, yeah. Um, so the fact that it's, bull, I call it bullshitting just because what we are doing is, uh, I think the value of not just writing this down, this not just being an email correspondence between us where we could think about our words and we could, uh, we can, this format allows us to add the slightly more emotional touch of conversation to it, right. which is not which adds a dynamism to it. Um, and this will this will come up. I, I'm going to make this a specific topic for another podcast. There's a difference between the way that you are emotionally true to yourself and the way that you are logically true to yourself. Okay. Um, this is this is a weird pratfall that a lot of people fall into uh, and it's even been immortalized in an Italian fra- in a uh, Latin phrase called in vinos veritas right okay you know in in wine truth and it's the idea that people when they are less inhibited are speaking more truthfully because they're letting what's really on the inside yeah, out yeah, yeah, yeah. despite the fact that what is on the inside is not what comes out it's not actually more honest and what this but it is something worth investigating. And that's why this format's important, because we can sit and we can brood and look up our sources and read Nietzsche and do all that shit. And and, I I love that. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. That's that's fun to do. (laughs) But that's that's only one side of it. That is too cool for real life, because real life gets more heated than that. Like Dylan talking about the stuff that he's talking about here is different than if he were to just sit down. You wouldn't have addressed any of this the same way if you had written it down. No, no. Because it doesn't have the heat of the moment to it. And I try to keep the heat of the moment tempered because if it gets too high, it gets ridiculous and we don't talk about anything worth talking about. But just, you turn the stove up to three. And I think that's kind of what I want this podcast to be. Mm -hmm. Mitchell, have I succeeded? 
I think so. I like it so far. I've listened cool. to the uh, previous six episodes. I liked it. You uh, and 39 other people, I'm man. What? <laughs> we're up from 23? We're at 39. Oh, I think about 20% of those how bots. Do you, how do you track the, the view count? RSS subscribers. Okay, I don't do that. Okay, 41. <laughs> Let's assume one other person. Yeah. You go straight to the website? Yeah. We're on iTunes, man. We're legit. Oh, well, I... I've been telling you. We're on Android tunes, man. <laughs> it's it's got to be possible. I think we've got an RSS. Yeah. Um, but what you were saying of how many people seriously sit down and think about most of the little choices they make, uh, I have a. I don't think it's very many. No. Um, <laughs> I was at a family reunion playing uh, Yahtzee with a couple. There's a game. Far out. Girls. There's a thinking man's game right and, there. Uh, well, yeah, that's the thing. I. Was throwing the dice and I got like two fours or something. And I was trying to make, you know, seeing what the odds are of if I were to roll again, would I get a better result? And I just kind of think out loud for a second. And a cousin of mine turns to me and goes, Are you seriously thinking about fucking playing Yahtzee right now? <laughs> Who's the sage? You or him? Huh? Yeah. Who's the sage? Them. Okay. Uh, just making sure. <laughs> that would be a self deception for you to believe that you were right here. Yeah. No. It's like. Are you seriously thinking about how you're playing Yahtzee and how to maximize that? Do you do that with everything? That would make me miserable. <laughs> um, they said that to Life me. Life is Yahtzee. <laughs> yeah. Um, that did kind of pull me back a little bit. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I can't do something. I mean, occasionally I can, but for the most part, I can't do anything and not care about it. Yeah, it was like, reflexive for yeah, me. I like, of course I want to figure out if getting a full house here would be more points than if I were to try to just go for fours right now. Like, that's how the game's played, right? Yeah. That's why you re-roll it all. When we played Liar Dice, I would go hardcore into that. Oh, fucking Liar's Dice is real Is this a gifted program problem? Were we trained to do this? Um... I, I think it's a good thing. I think everybody. Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying it's good or bad. But was oh. this in? Was this part of an indoctrination process? I think that the gifted program encouraged critical thinking and introspection probably more than not being in the gifted program. I can't really. I, I, is uh, this a CIA plot? I can't really confirm <laughs> that since we're I was in. I, I was 1%. in the gifted program, and most a lot of the people that I know were as well. Um, but I'd say. Probably yes, I think so. No, I or was maybe the gifted program wait, to just which, selected people that were more likely to be critical thinking. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to decide whether it's the chicken or the egg here. Yeah. No, I was my, my parents. I think it's a symptom that pulls you into it. They notice that of kids yeah. being quiet, thinking about things. My parents always, um, especially when I, I did anything wrong, there was never any corporal punishment in my house. It was lecture punishment. Capital. Yeah, it was, ca it was mental capital punishment. You yeah. know, like it was. You know, what did you do? Why was it, you know, like they, we, and I mean, not like, 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 it's, it was I'm probably distorted from it being 25 years ago or at least, but you know, like it's, it was a old, it was man, rally. old man rally, you know, like, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> need a cane or no something. No one has ever felt older at 33 than right <laughs> at this table. No, they, it was, it was, um, I got it from my parents primarily where it was an idea that, you know, we, we have to understand our decisions and our choices. And we need to understand, you know, that if, you know, you got caught shoplifting, why is this wrong? And what is, what, and what had, you know, what brought you to this moment? What brought you to this as well? And it was like that, you know, my parents are very open mental, mental people as well. And I don't mean to like, we didn't to like compare our parents or anything like that, but my parents are very open. We're going to do that later. Yeah. Open, gracious and, on, and honest <laughs> people. And like that kind of, you know, that rubbed off on me. And especially with that idea of being honest and as a symptom of that honesty being a 
product of wanting to look at yourself and understand who and where you are and an emphasis on being good. I mean, in a sense of what is good. And, you know, as you grow into a teenager, that all becomes bullshit that you rebel against anyway. But at well, the same time, good, it was something that I had. Beneficial on the whole. Yeah. Well, it, um, to say morally good is a bit. Mm, yeah, exactly. But, benef- but that's beneficial to you and others. That's how it's couched, right? Yeah. That's how parents, you got to kind of like guide your kids to like, you know, not being, you know, moral not fucking cretins, you know, like you like any other like instill a sense of what of of why when you make decisions there has to be a thought process with this, not merely just what might be good in the moment too. Like, you know, there's always a kind of couching about whether or not you should be looking into something for your own benefits and what you see inside that that is beneficial to you and and what that means. And so that that additional question was what I was always kind of pressed to go into and you know, I think that there's an innate ability to do that too. But then also there's the desire of like how often one goes into that. And that usually most people are like, you know, when they hit a bad patch or something, people I think, you know, fall into the moment or then just rebel and fucking blame other people or something, right? Like it's my fault, it's someone else's fault. And then, you know, but people who blame other things on other people, like when, when ever do they get to introspection? I mean, do they ever get there? And that's the kind of odd thing that I tend to find too. But do they need to? They're, they're right. Everything else is causing you to be who you yeah, are. Yeah, far be it for me to, to, to blame them on what makes them happy. But it's, it's shallow, and it's it doesn't really leave a whole lot for growth. But it again, this is it falls into the I end up being I end up being the advocate for the plebeian <laughs> in these arguments because this is it, I noticed really early on how unhappy all the unquote smart people tend to be, mm-hmm. um, and it seems really hard to justify the stance that everyone in this room takes, given that none of us are at a seven on the happiness scale. Right. I mean, I I dealt with that by eschewing the whole scale, but that's that's just me. Like, there's something, there there has to be sage advice sitting in there. There's, Buddhism is not on our side of the fence. It's on the other side. (laughs) Yeah, okay. To to paraphrase Russ Cole from uh, True Detective, um, I think human consciousness was a tragic mistake of evolution. Uh, when you can, <laughs> when you can think about stuff, when you can introspect, when you can, can you, when you can critically think, then you can be unhappy. Um, if you can't do that, you can't really be unhappy. Just, I mean, look at dogs. Yeah. Fucking dogs can be unhappy. Dogs get really sad when you leave. There are videos. Yeah. They don't. They put GoPros on a dog yes. and you close the door and you're gone and it doesn't know what that means. Yeah. So it just panics. <laughs> Like there is, this is a double-edged sword. I, I like that quote is very good. I like that. I like that idea, but I think it does cut both ways because yeah. there are ways then in which react. I can be happier than a dog ever can be as a result of this. It's That's, just that yeah. you got to cut through a lot of the unhappy side of that equation to and, get there. That's and true. without consciousness, you are purely reactive, which means if something bad happens around you, there's no safe haven. Like if you have no owner anymore. Yeah. Because they're gone. gone. <laughs> Fucking not Forever. even dead. Gone. <laughs> yeah. Dogs. Dogs. Dogs are pretty good. Yeah, they are. <sighs> Hour 48 is pretty good. I think uh, that'll, yeah. okay. that'll have to do. Especially given what a simmer this has now gone down to. I'm just I'm just depressed. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just a little down now. I don't know what it you is. You need some Xanax? <laughs> no, man. I'll, I'm happy. All right. And that's what's so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a good note to. Uh, yeah. Guilt. 
No, 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 no. Never, never, never. Guilt, guilt is a guilt is a uh, is weakness leaving the body. I think. <laughs> no, no, guilt, guilt is guilt is imposed by other people, and that is uh, that is a bastardization of an emotion for sure. I'll tell you that much. Because other people don't matter. Well, it's especially because you know it's a control mechanism. You know, like that's what guilt other is. Other people. Yeah, other, yeah. That's well, that you know, very, can go very Sartre here. You know, I mean, that's what hell is, right? Other people. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't sound like he gets out much. <laughs> he smokes. He smokes a lot. Yeah. He's dead. Oh, that that too. Yeah, that yeah. kind of cuts. That's my statement quick. stands. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's have much of a social life. Uh, tune in next week. When? Hey, every peoples. Uh, to make up for the lack of unique intro music, which was not for a lack of trying, by the way, uh, I'm going to make this my inaugural social outreach episode. So, if you have any questions, comments, or profanities you'd like to fling my way. Send them to actualgarbage.net at gmail.com. Dot is spelled out D-O-T in actualgarbage.net in that address. At some point, it'll probably be under the right domain, but for now, that will have to do. Um, And in a week's time, when the internet proves how bad an idea that almost inevitably is, I'll shut it back down. But, you know, for a week, it'll be fun. Till then, thanks for listening.